don't do too many competitions anymore. I used to do more than I do now because I'm a little skeptical and I don't like the idea of, you know, some organizer making tons of money and the photographer loses some rights and gets a couple of hundred dollars and, you know. Well, maybe competition. This photography podcast is brought to you by Frames, the upcoming printed photography magazine. Here is your today's host, W. Scott Olsen, with another fascinating conversation. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to another podcast from Frames Magazine. My name is Scott Olson, and today I have the real, real pleasure of talking with Julie Graham. Julie is a photo consultant, a curator, a judge. She is one of the most involved people behind the scenes in photography today, and a real pleasure to get the insight that she has about what our world looks like. Julie, good morning. How are you? Good morning. I'm fine, thank you. How are you doing? I'm doing well. It's a pleasant day out here on the prairie. Nice and sunny kind of day that just just makes you happy to be here. Tell me about being a photo curator, because so many of us, you know, who are not professional photographers, not working for a magazine or, or doing weddings and stuff, wind up with, you know, thousands and thousands of images that we know mean something and might be good as a collection and have no idea what to do with them. Tell me how your work involves making sense out of the the huge mass of photographs that we all wind up with. Ha! Well, the last thing you want to do to send a photo consultant or editor is thousands of images. So... Uh, This uh, is is true. (laughs) (laughs) Certainly, you're going to pay a lot more for the privilege. Um, Oh, honestly, Scott, it really, you know, the answer is it depends. Who are you? What do you have? What are your goals? Are they realistic? Where do you want to be when? Who's your audience? Mm -hmm. All of these things are the preamble to even beginning to work with somebody. I think there are two aspects of being a a photography consultancy. You can either just hire me to edit your images. Say you want to make a book proposal or you want to redesign your website and you're not sure what albums you want to have on there and how many images should be in there. You don't need to talk to me. You don't need to hire me for an entire hour. You can just tell me what you need and send me images and, and you know, get a, get a decent price accordingly. And then there's the other option, which is where you're more involved and we sit together for an hour or two hours or however many hours you need and really drill down into all those things that I, that I just mentioned, what's realistic for you and how are you going to get there? And, you know, the web is affording us access to lots more eyeballs than ever. So I try to be very realistic with my clients as to whether having a book is really a, a, an optional goal for them or whether they should perhaps be publishing their work online and trying to drive an audience to that instead, those kinds of things. It's kind of a bit, a bit like being a therapist. Well, tell me what kind of insight you generally bring to a client, because if if I do say I want it to redesign my website, you have good taste, but you also have a business sense of of what works. Tell me what a, a typical conversation might involve. Somebody calls you up and says they want a new website or they want to figure out what to do with their work. How does that conversation proceed? Well, I would normally have, you know, 10, 15 minute chat with them. And again, just kind of try to understand if you want to redesign your website or are you launching a new website? Who's it for? How are they going to find it? So then that branches off into other questions. Do you have a presence on Instagram? Can you generate one? Is your projects, are they niche? Can you find a target audience? So we would drill down, you know, what do you have? Someone may think they have four different kinds of 
portfolios. And I might look at 100 images and think there's really just one series here. And then we would have to talk about what else do they have? Often photographers are not the best editors of their work, obviously. So in that case, I would like to see more than less. What have they been doing until now? And, and which, what have that's been working for them and what hasn't? Depending on what kind of photographer they are, they might be a commercial photographer trying to look for an advertising client, in which case I would want to know, can you tell me which brands that you love you would think you would like to shoot for? And do you really have work that you could approach them with? Go to LinkedIn, find out who the art director was for the latest Nike campaign. So I help people kind of do research, think more clearly. You can't just spread your images out across everywhere. We'll come to it, but I publish my own photography magazine on the web. And the worst thing is if someone sends me a project that is clearly something I would never publish because I've never published anything like it before. And it's clearly not my taste. So being discerning uh, makes you look more professional. So I would want to be having all those kinds of questions. And oftentimes photographers are not sure. I've had people really resist me on these questions as well, but I think it's super important. I don't think anyone can afford to say, I don't know who my audience is yet. If you're not really sure, you really need to find one. <laughs> so again, you're not going to want to be sending someone thousands of images, but you're going to want to be sharing enough so that I can really get a proper sense of you know, maybe where I think you should be. I might find images that you didn't think were great or thought went into a particular section on your website and I think differently and I would talk about who might be interested in those images, how can you describe them so that they might be found online, which is a huge issue uh, with lots of photographers. They don't do the most basic fundamentals of putting metadata in their files and keywords on their websites and missing opportunities to be found. So I'll be lucky if I can do all that in 10 or 15 minutes before hiring me. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I try. <laughs> well, it is, it is amazing. And it's, it's not just for photographers, but it is amazing how much insight uh, an extra set of eyes, and especially an extra set of eyes that has some experience, can bring to understanding your own work. I do want to say um, to everyone listening, you have a wonderful website. It's juliegram.com, J-U-L-I-E-G-R-A-H-A-M-E. Dot com, which goes over all sorts of this stuff. Julie, tell me how you got to be a photo consultant. How did you get from age 12 to now? Okay. Well, I was born in London, England, sometime last century. And <laughs> I left school at 16 and I actually went to train at Konica. And I worked for a couple of years in a company called Bonus Print doing one hour C41 negative Devon print which at the time meant literally judging every single negative by eye and making prints for a small you know, local community. It was on a local high street in London, which was fabulous. I uh, had a great time and I learned a lot, obviously. And then at 18, I went back to school and studied photography for two years. Came out the other end, wasn't very good actually at all at photography. And I was terrible at theory. So... <laughs> <laughs> I knew I didn't want to be a photographer, but I knew I wanted to be in the photography industry somehow. Um, and back in those days, what any good media student would do would be to get the Guardian newspaper on a Monday and look in the back for the media jobs. And I applied for a job managing a photo agency. Um, I got rejected. And then a couple of weeks later, they email, uh, emailed, called me, <laughs> or called me and asked me if I'd be interested in a filing position. So I went for an interview. I got hired on the spot. I hadn't really been too sure what the job was. 
I spent my first few weeks cutting up two and a quarter transparencies, mounting them in cardboard mounts, writing the name of, it was a mu- mainly music photography uh, licensing agency. So we were essentially had hundreds of music photographers bringing in their transparencies and their prints. We would make dupes of those, syndicate them all around the world, and everybody was selling tons of images every day to magazines and newspapers, book publishing. You know, it was a very, very healthy business. So after a couple of years of working in their London office at the photo agency, I asked to be sent over to the New York agency. I knew it wasn't doing very well, and that just made no sense to me because obviously the market here was bigger. So uh, my boss at the time agreed to let me come and see what I thought. Um, I kind of came for a year and I've been here 28 years now. So we rode the high times of picture licensing and that's really where my roots are. But we were salespeople as well as editors. And we just looked through so much work every day. We just used to pound out editing and getting the dupes done and so on. So I had a lot of experience at looking at all kinds of different photography on stage, off stage, posed, you know, hotel room snapshots, etc, etc. And by, I guess it was about 1998, we had our first digital system, we had a bulletin board system. So we started shooting red carpet events in New York and LA, and they were getting uploaded to our system overnight. And it was amazing. But then by 9-11 in 2001, we had been kind of walking this line between what we shot new was becoming more digital, but the archive stuff obviously was all on film. And after 9-11, no bike messengers, no checks coming in, you know, business just turned on its head and everything had to be done digitally. And it just became this huge expense building custom software, trying to make sure it was fast enough, accessible by, you know, every single magazine after the Oscars. It just wasn't the sort of business that we we knew and loved. And at the same time, other companies were gobbling up people like us and dropping prices in the market. And it just became really just not fun anymore. So in 2006, we were lucky to find a buyer and I left uh, the agency after that, I went to work for an online fashion magazine called Zoom. We were incredibly ahead of our time publishing fashion stories with links, click through to Net-A-Porter to buy the specific item that you've just looked at, which I'm not sure is even happening yet <laughs> online. Um, and at the same time, I started publishing a few websites to just see how I could perform in search. So my old business partner had all these music pictures. So I published a few websites on The Clash and Led Zeppelin and trying to work out how many words I needed to come up in a search. So I essentially learned that a four or five word search, I could come up on page one if someone was looking for John Bonham, Led Zeppelin, Earl's Court, 1976. It was a chance because I made sure that that was the caption in the image that we would show up. So I was just trying to learn more about the web and how it worked. And at which point in 2009, I think it was, my husband, who's the web designer, built me a photography magazine, which was something I'd always wanted to publish. And then, of course, the web afforded me the ability to do that cheaply. Um, And that's really when I think I felt more like a curator. I felt like I'd come out of just being a picture licensor not to do that down. That's still basically how I make my living is, is picture licenses as well as the consulting work. So tell me about A Curator magazine. 
I've been looking at it on online. It is tremendously interesting. What what is the vision you have there, and and who and and what do you think the mission of, of this particular online photo magazine is? My mission is to provide a nice, clean, safe platform for photography that I think is great. And I'd like to think there's quite a variety on here, but I'd also like to think that there's definitely a style, uh, a discerning something across the work. I started publishing it. I, I launched with about 10 features. I called them features with photographers that I knew. I just figured there's so much great work out there and there's not so many places that are publishing photo stories anymore. You know, magazines weren't licensing so many images. They weren't publishing so many spreads. I'd been to visit the Time Life picture collection when I first moved to New York, and I was just blown away by the depth of some of, you know, you'd open a file on Elizabeth Taylor, the whole cabinet would be full of all this great stuff, and I just thought, you know, who's ever going to see it? So I wanted to just, yeah, it's, it's nominally supposed to be seen full screen. Um, it was redesigned a few years ago. It was built in flash, and that was fabulous for me at the time, but it had to change. Um, and for years, I was reluctant to even allow anyone to look at it on their phone. So I didn't allow <laughs> it to be seen on mobile until about two years ago, uh, because I want to see big pictures. So <laughs> it didn't seem the point. But actually, now that it's been redesigned, it looks fabulous on the phone. I'm really proud of it. Um, so it's a twofold thing. Obviously, it's a good platform for me and what I do. And it makes me look cool and I have a discerning eye but it's also great for the photographers I published who was it uh the most recent story which is a, a guy in London who recreate recreated not recreated found all these locations where all these reca uh, reggae album sleeves were mm -hmm. shot and he went back there with the album and I got an email from someone who wanted to buy a print so people have definitely been contacted with book publishers by galleries for being in the magazine. I don't have a massive audience. I don't think I should. I want it to be a fine niche photography audience. But they are, you know, my, my readers are not just photographers, you know, they're art directors, book publishers, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and people have got work out of it, which makes me very happy. Well, even if people are getting work out of it, that's lovely. As a viewer of the magazine, um, I've gotten hours of enjoyment. This is the kind of photo magazine where, you know, it's 2.30 in the morning and I'm suddenly wondering wondering where midnight went um, because I've just been going through uh, the images. And and it is wide ranging. I mean, that's you've, you've got street photography, you've got fine art, you've got color, you've got black and white. But Every single story here, and there are quite a few, is, is captivating. Tell me a case study. Tell me from beginning to end working with somebody who was interesting or successful or a disaster. Or w Walk me through the process of a project. But one of my clients who I work with on a very regular basis, at least once a month, came to me needing to kind of reshuffle and refresh the work on his website and re-edit some of the projects his site was already solid but it was messy and it needed consolidating and every month I draw his eye back to what images are the most reflective of his style so he'll go off and shoot stuff send me a dropbox I'll take a look through we hop on the phone at this point I've advised him to submit his work for editorial publication online. He's been hugely successful. Those things have springboarded onto other stuff. 
Uh, we work together on perhaps which images you might want to submit to a certain competition. Um, so on an ongoing basis, we're tweaking, chatting. A lot of it is chatting. What do you think about this? Do you think I should pursue that? Do you know this person? What's she like? Does she hire? So on and so forth. He actually, he contacted me a few days ago with a contract from a magazine for a fashion shoot. And he's not a fashion photographer. So it was a very interesting process of trying to not make him feel bad because I thought it was a bit spammy and that this person wasn't really after having him shoot a fashion spread, but actually, you know, trying to protect my industry from this sort of weird pitch that had gone out. As it turned out, I called a couple of other agents and it had gone out to hundreds of photographers and it was all very strange. So I act as, you know, everything from like legal advice. I do contracts. I do know a lot about picture licensing. So I have a client who had a project that went viral a few years ago. And we actually do tons of picture licensing together on his, his work. So that's a slightly different scenario. Those things don't come along too often. Oftentimes, someone will come and, you know, they'll say, I want a book. You know, I want to publish a book. And by the time we've chatted for a couple of hours, they realize that that's just not actually what they want or need. It's not necessarily going to be as good for them as they imagine it is. And we'll come up with a whole bunch of other way more satisfying options for them to have their work seen and potentially even generate income. Some people come to me because they just got an inquiry for a print and we will look through their work and we will discuss what makes sense for that work. Do they, you know, is that their first ever print sale? How does that reflect the price? What are people spending on art these days? Where are they buying it? I'll go over limited editions. How many should there be? What should the price point be? Is there anything here that I think would be worth approaching a gallery for? That's a minefield, but it's, you know, it's something that obviously most photographers in the fine art world certainly is their goal is to be represented by a gallery. I'm very realistic with people. I will never butter someone up. So, you know, not everybody responds too well to that. I had a woman, I had a preliminary 15-minute preamble chat with that turned into over an hour and everything I suggested she just said no and in those kind of cases you know I just can't work with somebody like that so I need you to you know I need every every person that is going to work with me to work with me to define what it is that they really need some people will actually just ask me to curate something for them for their own website um, and depending on what that scenario is would be how I would tackle it. I'm very flexible and I appreciate that times are tough. So, you know, I'm more than willing to try and work with someone on what they can afford. I'm just having a look through the website. I, I met with someone last year who she said, I've got this project and I don't know if I'm crazy thinking it is anything. And we sat together for an hour and I just wanted to strangle her. I'm like, this is one of the most fabulous things I've ever seen. What are you talking about? <laughs> I mean, often it's just like, giving someone a boost. You know, photographers can be completely isolated. They're sitting there staring at their archive all day. They're panicking about how to increase their followership on Instagram. What does that even mean? And sometimes I'm just like, listen, this is fabulous. Stop worrying about this and push this over here and you'll be much happier. 
I am completely convinced that the, the value of that external eye, that, that bringing the experience and taste and judgment helps all of us because we, we are in love with our work and hate our work for sometimes the right reasons, but quite often uh, really the wrong reason too. So that reading the testimonials on your website, everybody praises your honesty as well as your insight. I may love a photograph dearly and it may be completely mundane. I'm not going to want to hear that, but I need to hear that. Or I may go right by a photograph that is stellar and think, well, you know, that's just my backyard. So tell me about judging contests. On your website, you list a thousand and one contests where you've been a judge or a selector of some sort. Is is that difficult work? Is that I mean, how, how do you bring your sensibility to that part of our world? Well, I'd like to think I was a tiny bit more discerning than hundreds or thousands, but um, <laughs> that also, again, depends because you can only curate what you've had submitted. So I try to avoid anything I, th- anything I think isn't really worth it for a photographer. I like to try and do things that actually maybe have an offline setting, although that might be moot for the time being. But it's nice to get something in a show as well as on, you know, just something that's going to be online. Uh, Often there's a call for entry with a specific uh, subject, you know, summer or tins of beans. You know, sometimes it's just an open call. So you might be looking at 500 or 1,000 or 1,500 images that nominally don't have a theme. That's the word I'm looking for. Um, and then you're kind of on your own to, to make what you think is an excellent curated set of that. I judged something for the Griffin Museum just outside of Boston. And they have a big space and they needed 60 images in the, in the show. So, you know, God, I spent hours. I spent hours because often, you know, if it is 1,500, 2,000, the worst I ever did was 6,000 images. I can say it was for PDN because they've gone now. And it was an absolute nightmare because you want that 6,000th image to have as much of your heart and soul as the first one. Um, It's challenging, definitely. And also, it's kind of hard. You sort of remember the really awful images and and wonder what someone was thinking. So I I go down all of those (laughs) rabbit holes as well. I can remember a couple of things which are so awful from years ago. They stick in your head and not in a good way. And then there's all this stuff online. So I don't do too many competitions anymore. I used to do more than I do now because I'm a little skeptical and I don't like the idea of you know some organizer making tons of money and the photographer loses some rights and gets a couple of hundred dollars and you know well competitions i think in any art world um have some real gems and some real disasters as well there are certainly in in the writing world a lot of contests that are out there only so that the uh, people putting it on can collect the submission fee but there are contests out there that i think really do help springboard people into other people's awareness. And certainly you've got some of the best of the best on, on your list here. Well, and just to speak to that just a little bit, you know, I, I have found some of, the, some of the work at portfolio reviews and a lot of it is submissions. And I think it's important to submit work to online publications. There aren't huge volumes of us. But I think it's important for photographers to be aware of things like a curator and aware of things like lens culture and lens scratch and understand that being 
published in something like this is actually good for you. It's good search engine value. When someone Googles you, they're not just seeing your site. They're seeing that you've been, your work's been curated into something else. So, Julia, tell me what's next. What are you working on now? Well, here in the time of COVID, things are obviously pretty much up in the air. So my, uh, my client, Eric Pickersgill, who's the guy who had the project that went viral, we have spent the last couple of years pursuing some online infringements. Um, it's not how I wanted to make my living, but here we are. He's been ripped off so much. And we're working with one of the several platforms available now to actually pursue some of those. So we're spending more time on that than we used to because it's a, you know, it's, it's a good way to bring in some money when there's less licensing going on. Um, I work ongoing with the estate of Yusuf Karsh, the famous 20th century portrait photographer. And I publish news every day around his Instagram. So I'm constantly looking for ways to keep his images in the public eye. So that actually takes up quite a lot of my time. We get tons of inquiries uh, from people that were photographed by him or their relatives, all kinds of obscure inquiries for subjects that he photographed in the 30s. It's really, really excellent value. So I keep busy with those two. They're my main clients. I'm constantly looking for uh, more consulting because I absolutely love doing it. And I think it is really good value for people. Some of the other consultants try and tie you into, you know, three, four, five hours, three months. I, I'm just not interested in that. I want to give people what they need. Follow me on Instagram at Julie Instagram because I'm going to launch a special offer soon to do an edit of up to 50 images um, and send you a free audio review. Um, so oh I'm, I'm trying to find a way to make myself as accessible as possible to photographers who could just use a hand as they're sitting there redoing their archives because they've got nothing else to do right now. So I'd say those are the main things. Very cool. When, once again, for everybody out there, it's juliegram.com, J-U-L-I-E-G-R-A-H-A-M-E.com. There's everything on there that we've talked about and certainly a lot more. Julie, I am impressed. I think... One of the things about the photography world is the layer that you're working in. And that one we tend to not know about or don't know how to approach. And I hope everybody gets a chance to look at your website and then, if, if appropriate, uh, get in touch. Thank you very much. This has been a really interesting conversation. Thank you so much, Scott. If you enjoyed today's podcast, I can imagine you would like to hear more about what we are currently working on. Later this year, we will be launching a quarterly printed photography magazine. It will be a beautifully designed, inspiring publication. I personally truly believe that excellent photography belongs on paper, hence the idea of frames. To find out more about frames and to join more than 14,000 photography enthusiasts who enjoy our weekly newsletter, go ahead and visit frames.photography. I would love to have you in our community. Thanks so much.